Hi, um, I'm Emma Fryer from Tech UK, and I'm delighted to be having a fireside chat with Nick Smith from Genetic. Um, from my side, I look after the UK data centre sector. I provide a collective voice for operators to government and other stakeholders. And my main concerns are resilience, um, reputation and compliance. Um, Nick, I wonder if you just want to briefly introduce yourself and what you do at, at Genetic. Yeah, hi Emma. Um, yeah, so my name is Nick Smith. I'm Business Development Manager for Genetec. Um, so I really focus on the technology, media and telecoms sectors. There was a, a really nice report last year, which was called uh, Data Centre Security, I think, Fighting on Two Fronts, which is up on our website, and I'll share a link to that later. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to talk about a few of the things that, that were in that report. So thanks very much indeed, uh, Nick. Um, I wanted to talk about four things, really. One is market developments, then really the nature of the data center in terms of how it handles um, cyber and physical security. I wanted to look a bit about standards, and then I wanted to finish in my kind of home turf, which is the policy landscape. So I hope it's all right with you, Nick, um, and, um, and we'll, we'll start off with market developments, if I, if I may. Yeah. Um, so what I'd say here is over the last two years, we have seen a monumental uplift in customer demand as business, government, social activity all moved online right across the board and some organizations were just expanding their existing capacity and functionality but i think for others migrating to cloud and online working represented a much much more fundamental change in terms of their business and operational processes and do you think this change in in customer requirements presents a new array of security challenges and, and if so is everyone keeping up yeah, I, I, you're correct. I mean, before COVID-19, one of the largest disruptions to work um, it basically involved new technologies and growing that, the growing trade links. Um, so COVID-19 has really, for the first time, elevated the importance of the physical dimension of work, um, as it obviously pushed much of the workforce into the digital space, ultimately, whether they wanted to be there or not. So with such a major shift, you know, the leadership through a lot of organisations has, has had to adapt to this. Um, and this includes the adjustments in, in how companies view the role of the CIO, because um, ultimately CIOs were very much focused on, on, on strictly IT. Um, and then they in 2020, they had to step up to drive the digitization of the workspace um, and work across companies instead of, like I said, just focusing strictly on that IT. So I think during 2021, a lot most organizations have really struggled with application modernization and, and data integration across these multiple cloud silos with this kind of move to the cloud because of the changing workplace. And it caused a real increase in the adoption of connected cloud architectures to address the challenges. So I think the key bit here is that IT professionals really had to move really quickly in 2020 to get cloud environments up and running to support remote workers, because ultimately we know that a lot of people now can access their, their, their workspaces. And, and they, they, they aggressively implemented, implemented cloud native services throughout, um, throughout the last year. So, Organizations then turn to these containers and the microservices for these cloud native services for faster deployment, uh, development and deployment. But this then itself created a complicated web of cloud platforms, services, resources, and not to mention the traditional IT infrastructure that still needed to be managed. So the point of this is that, that connecting these silos through cross cloud management control planes essentially now allows uh, enables the use of AI and machine learning tools to start to ensure compliance and configuration consistency across cloud architectures. It's still going to take a lot of time. You know, we're seeing that only approximately 20% of companies will really ad adopt this connected cloud architecture in 2021. But it's really kind of that the, the last two years has, has really accelerated this. So 
just looking at the threats okay so these are the threats obviously with everybody starting to work from home organizations having to move more of their uh, applications into the cloud looking to leverage the cloud more and more looking to start to enhance their networks to allow multiple people now we're talking thousands of people from an organization now connecting into an office remotely you know there was a report from a, a manage engine they're an enterprise it management division of a soho corporation they found that 81 percent of us-based it professionals believe that having remote workers has increased their enterprise security challenges and um, while 74 percent of those people kind of acknowledge their company's use of cloud solution has increased as a direct result of the covid 19 pandemic so when we have a look the, the report found really found that phishing is the most common threat Okay, so so phishing through through emails, through texts um, coming through your mobile phone, that still is the most common threat. With sixty two percent of people responding with with phishing being the most common threat to them. Endpoint network attacks. Um, so this is employee devices and edge devices around about forty nine percent, and then malware as a as, as as the third most prominent threat. We're looking at account hijacking, social media based attacks, closely followed about thirty eight percent and thirty two percent respectively. One of the big challenges as well through COVID is that employees have gone out and purchased their own mobile specific applications without direct approval from IT. So this is things like online meeting tools, you know, Zoom. So so, so typically most organizations have a preferred communication method. Each organization is different. So ultimately employees go out their way to find ways to be able to join these meetings. So they've been downloading non-certified or non-approved uh, applications um, and also document sharing applications. So, yeah, I mean, not only is this an increase cyber threats jeopardizing these organizations security, but it's also placing more pressure on the IT teams. As a result of employees working remotely, the majority of organizations took the necessary actions to safeguard their data. And this is down to the key. These are the main things that people have been really kind of deploying to, to get employees to to understand their role within cybersecurity. So we're talking about raising employees' uh, cybersecurity awareness, getting employees trained on cybersecurity, adapting company, uh, company security strategies, monitoring employee devices, and the most important is really implementing that zero trust network. Wow, zero, that sounds terrible, zero trust network. We've certainly seen that within even within Tech UK. We've been doing a lot more uh, security training and uh, had spot phishing emails. I've got I've got better at it. Nobody's Im immune though, they're really good. Um, well, not really good, but really um, they can be quite compelling. I get a lot from spurious IT departments and I know to avoid them. Anyway, so <laughs> I've got another question I wanted to ask you about markets really, which is yeah. the the M&A, the M&A uh, activity that's going on. We've seen a massive amount of merger and acquisition in our market in the UK um, with new you know, investor types coming in, very attracted by this, this asset class. Um, and we've seen a lot of expansion of new capacity. Presumably, all these M&As also represent new security challenges to operators. Is that the case or is it? Is it? am I over-imagining it? Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely a challenge. Like you say, lots of acquisitions, mergers. They're obviously new providers that are being funded all the time. Um, so we see a lot of assets moving hands. Some of the more traditional data centers are, are selling off their assets to some of the new guys. And at the same time, those those uh, established providers are obviously building new density centers. So I think with that consistent demand from customers for increased bandwidth, it, it obviously means that operators must anticipate those future future mergers, acquisitions and expansions to new sites. Ultimately, what they need to do is lead to that convergence of existing security departments. 
Unfortunately, often this means inheriting various different security te technologies and processes that need to then be integrated to maintain that consistent picture of the security operations. And then when you add to this, the need to keep on top of growing volume of regulatory frameworks related to data privacy and inf information security, you know, it is a challenge. You know, this does present challenges. Um, providers really need to set at the outset um, and define a common and consistent strategy of standardization um, and training across operations. It's it's ultimately to make sure or ensure that the, the organization, the provider, um, and, and everybody within that organization are all working towards that defined common goal. So, right, standardization and yeah. Without a doubt, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a challenge. The problem is when, when you do have, you know, when you're inheriting systems, and, and, and this is what's happening at the moment, ultimately it's hard to manage um, lots of siloed, inconsistent systems. So it's very, it's key to, for, for a successful deployment, and I'm talking physical security specifically here, to have that standardization so that, you know, operators of these systems and managers, CIOs understand what's expected and, and that they can have a common uh, experience across the whole of their organization, all of their data centers. Um, otherwise, it just becomes hard to manage, hard to patch, hard to keep on top of the, the cybersecurity element of it as well. I can I can imagine, and actually that brings us really nicely onto the, the data center as you know as, as a specific environment. And I wanted to talk about the, the data centers where the sort of physical and security, uh, physical and cyber security elements meet, and 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 that's what we say about the sector. But but what do we mean in practice? I know I've heard things like people saying you mustn't you know you mustn't assume as a customer that that your physical security stops at the your responsibility for this stops at the gate because it yeah. doesn't for either cyber or physical. But it's just interesting to to to, to hear phrases like good cyber hygiene um, cast about as well, and what this actually means. And it, it all seems like a, a sort of a perfect storm of different things happening in the one facility. Can you can you just shed some light on that? Yeah, so I mean, at Genetech, we like to talk about the convergence of physical and cyber security, so where they meet, um, and and we've been very focused on that for well as long as I've been in the business. I know it's it's, it's a core principle of the business, but then when we look at the data center industry, obviously it, it remains at that forefront of technical in, innovation with strong global demand for data storage and processing as industries digitize. and we need to ensure that that market will continue to expand, which it will. You know, last two years we've seen that. Um, the key bit is against this backdrop, it's important to plan for future growth, to address the physical and the cyber security within that single plan, not having them as separate elements or uh, 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 that, that, that you glue together at the end. It has to be key to be part of that single plan and to invest in the security system now that can scale, adapt and evolve in line with immediate and future requirements. Again, we talk about that a lot and, and, and it, it is forever evolving, but data centres must keep up with evolving regulations. Uh, and security th threats whilst ensuring that their customers' needs are always met. With its ability to unify and centralise all these considerations, the physical security platform should be considered integral to reaching these goals. It should be designed to reduce the security risk, improve decision-making and enhance the compliance so that no matter how the organisation grows or how the threat landscape evolves, it should be flexible enough to to evolve in these in line with these future needs. So that that's really kind of what we mean about that physical and cyber. It's about having that 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 plan that that encompasses both, rather than looking at those two separate elements of 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 of, of your of your organisation or of your facility. When we start talking about cyber heat hygiene, so it's it this is why kind of maintaining 
good cyber hygiene relies on a combination of people, processes and technology. Uh, and why so securing an organization against cyber attacks can't, can't, can't simply be delegated to IT or appropriately addressed within departmental silos that don't collaborate. So just giving some good ideas about basic cyber hygiene, and this really is basic. It, it's just simple things such as having up-to-date antivirus and patching, understanding uh, and, and having control of who has ha access to a network. You know, those sort of things can go a long way to protecting an organization you know, from the internet and other untrusted networks, because the same cyber hygiene protects against internal vulnerabilities, whether exploited accidentally or, or deliberately. So it's just about ensuring that, you know, if we've got, uh, it has to be, again, very policy driven. We have to agree that this is this is how we are going to maintain our cyber hygiene as such. But even things as, um, you know, a failure to appropriately restrict, monitor and audit access to physical servers, that will instantly compromise any cybersecurity precautions that might have been put in place. Or, for example, IT professionals can start to apply monitoring tools to detect an incidence of, uh, say, a USB device being connected to a server. Um, but it's only by really integrating these alerts, so having these network monitoring tools, these um, port monitoring tools on, on your hardware, it's only by having those alerts come back into a, the security management system that then the security teams can be put in a position quickly to respond and having instant access to the associated video footage in that part of the facility that then makes it far easier to quickly ascertain who was responsible before it's too late. Wow. Is, is that the same then? I mean, this you've mentioned access controls, and I know a lot of our operators have very sophisticated uh, diff levels of access control and, and detection as well. Is that, is that the same as inside a threat within data centres? So, I mean, because I always see that as, a, as, a, as an aspect of security that's particularly challenging for our operators. And is that one of the ways you control that or is that something completely different? Uh, it, it, I mean, when we look at the cyber hygiene specifically, that that that's, that 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 both protects us or, or helps protect us about, against the outside and the insider threats. You know, the access control system is. You know, we look at it at layers. We we look at a, a facility as having different layers of security. Access control is one of those layers. It's not the be all and end all. You know, all of these systems either have uh, they they they, have, they could potentially have weaknesses. You know, and the biggest flaw we have with any system is always that human interaction. So although we have access control there to help mitigate against the risk of insider threats, the reality is, um, you know, it's still flawed because we've still got human beings. So we still see kind of, you know, when we look at the kind of breaches we have, really 39% of companies still say that negligence was the primary cause of data breaches. Wow. So that, that means that it, regardless of the amount of layers of physical security, IT security you put in, you know, the majority of the, the issues that you're going to have are through negligence. So that, that comes down to training and people. Then when we start to have a look at those um, those insider attacks, you know, we, we you know, the other other big threats include, you know, denial of service attacks. You've obviously got data theft or alteration, unauthorized use of computing sources, identity theft. But, you know, the the insider attack is is obviously a key threat but you know protecting against those kind of attacks does mean that you have to have these multiple layers not just access control monitoring who's logging on to where and when under vetting vetting the people that come into the organization maybe when you've got um say visitors you know they're quite a big risk when you're talking about data centers Having the ability to um, have a, what we call a, a, an identity management system. 
so that when people are uh, requesting access to site that that it's done through a controlled a controlled access route where pre-authorization is required um, and those those people accessing site can be checked before they arrive and are those the kind of um are those the kind of steps that you're already seeing operators particularly co-location applying um, across the industry or do you think it's it's um it's varied so it's varied i think i think it's depending on you know a, a lot of these co-locate co or a lot of data center providers and the co-location uh, providers you know they're all in different phases they're all in different stages on of the process like i said those that are more established to potentially or uh, we, we find that they've actually implemented the tools required to to do exactly what I just said there, as far as having that pre-approval process, uh, having the process so that people are vetted before they get to site, and then having that layered approach within their within their facility. But when we start to look at people who are inheriting, and it goes back to when we start to inherit, you know, from day one, that's not necessarily possible because you've got a multitude of different types of system. They don't always talk to each other, and so it becomes very very hard to start the implement the tools that you need to essentially have that layered approach yeah so you wouldn't yeah if you were wanted to you wouldn't start from here is kind of the case in many <laughs> i can understand i can understand exactly what you where you're coming from on that yes okay so complex certainly complex and i have heard you know people talking specifically about uh not just monitoring who's who's done what but also who's yep. tried who's tried to do stuff um which seems to be a really important part of the picture because it might only be the third or fourth attempt that someone's tried to do something or access a particular area that they're successful and then it's too late simply so uh, so yeah huge huge challenges for operators um it sounds i wanted to move on to standards i'm quite interested in standards because there's a incredible you know we're a very young industry but for a young yep. industry we've got this very sophisticated and well-developed array of peer-reviewed public standards bespoke many of them bespoke to the industry generally in areas like um, efficient operation resilient design um, but we also adopt a wider range of more generic standards by which i mean non-data center specific so not like the en5600 series you know iso series which are which are wide widely uh, widely applied generic standards yeah. and when it comes to security i've heard of things like iso 27001 um, but there are other other specific standards that govern how physical security systems should be configured and uh, managed within a data center environment or with any environment for that matter it's yeah. a long list <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah the, the, i think that's the thing that the, there is a, obviously a wide variety <laughs> of information <laughs> security and information technology frameworks that provide that guidance and, and then when we look at physical security again there's there's other standards um, you know we're talking about EN well what we'll, were we'll EN but now we're looking at BS standards that have been there for years but as far as this is about the deployment of these systems not necessarily about the the the, the systems being deployed and I think that's the key bit because you know especially in the physical security side of things you know most uh, what we call integrators the people delivering security management systems you know they will always deploy to to the standards required or, or at least they at the very least they should be but what tends to be forgotten is the standards uh, surrounding the, the systems being installed and i think that's the critical bit so again when we start to look like i said there's a wide variety and we you know some that We've all heard of probably a, a, a NIST uh, SP800-53 or NIST NIST cybersecurity framework. We've obviously got ISO 27001 or 27001. We've got SOC2 now. We've got CIS controls. You know, these are just a few. Now, 
I think the ones that are really re relevant to a, from a cybersecurity perspective are ISO 27001, SOC 2, Type 1, Type 2. So I've even heard of SOC 2, so I'm quite pleased about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not forgetting GDPR. Yeah, okay. absolutely. GDPR being very, very specific, um, uh, you know, very, very important in, in, in the current age, especially with the amount of information that we're all... And the penalties, uh, very, very severe. And, and the penalties <laughs> can be very severe. And I think we're starting to see people now um, having fines issued against them. It takes a little bit of time sometimes. But then from, from a government perspective, you know, we're trying to, again, back from, from a product perspective, we're starting to look at other certifications, other accreditations, other standards that we should be working to. And so if we have a look at, you know, things like we've talked, uh, we've obviously talked about GDPR, we talk about SOC 2, we start to look at things like UL standards. There are certain governments like uh, Security Essentials, Secure by Default. But really, I think that, that the key ones for us are, are focusing on, on 27001, SOC 2, and also GDPR. They're the ones Brilliant. that we really have to have to have to make sure that we're, we're, we're on top of. Okay, and it's and then just looking at it from the customer perspective, um, yeah. is that what they should be looking at? What should they be asking a, a potential data center provider to to to, to be for if they wanted to assess the the maturity of their approach to physical and uh, physical and cyber security? Would it be those Would it be those three, or should there be other things they should be uh, looking for? And also, data centers themselves, operators themselves, what should they be asking of their security providers? Are those the the, the key things across the board? So so so. So they're nice accreditation certifications that we've all heard of, but I think actually, you know, because the the, the problem with this, with, with with certifications, accreditations, you know, choosing the correct one depends on your compliance obligations, geography, business vertical, organizational com complexity. So it's possible to map one framework to another and some of them be designed just for that purpose, but kind of it, it I wouldn't say there's any real guidance to say, okay, this is the route you should, it, it, it just depends on what you're doing. So, so when we start to look at um, what questions we should ask of data center providers and also what data center providers should be asking of their, their, their supply chain themselves, I think it's probably the same questions, if I'm being completely honest. So alongside the accreditations, have you got 27001, which we should all have anyway, um, SOC 2, Type 1, Type 2, you know, some will be working towards that, some may already have it. But there's things like just questioning security governments, you know, asking, you know, you should understand who's got responsibility for cybersecurity at supplier organization. And, and, and so this could be for suppliers into the data centers. This could be for people looking to use a data center. So knowing who, who, who the risk owners are is a key part of gaining that confidence in your supplier. How do you manage and recover from incidents? So, you know, does the supplier have plans and processes in place to cope with an incident and recover from it? Have they suffered any material security breaches or compromise that they need to declare? You know, what's the business continuity disaster recovery plan? We look at protecting the network. So let's understand how and be satisfied that a supplier protects its network from external internal harms. You know, these are the things that we should be asking, there should be evidence. Protecting data. So again, understanding how that supplier, whether it be the data center or be be, be, be somebody as part of your supply chain for let's say cameras on, on, on the um, external fence line of your, your data center, you know, how do they protect data on their networks? You know, because basic controls can go a long way in mitigating many of the harms that could befall data on a network. Personnel security. So understanding what personnel security controls are uh, what, what's in place as far as gaining confidence in your supplier? Physical security. So again, how, how understand how your supplier physically protects its premises, data and assets, because uh, then again it gives you the gives you the confidence 
in in their approach to security. And obviously, me being in the physical security world, you know, we th this is something that we focus on a lot, and we really kind of are trying to, I suppose, um, evangelise to get people to really ask these questions of their suppliers. You know, does the supplier have suitable physical controls in place to protect data, network, and premises? Um, you know, do they go through independent testing and assurances? So you ultimately need to understand how the supplier is gaining confidence that their security controls are working in practice, because ultimately, you know, are there, is that supplier conducting uh, independent security tests, penetration testing of their internal and external IT infrastructure, their software, their hardware? Because ultimately, the risk you have with the physical security system is the is the nodes that are connected to it. You know, you you could potentially have if we look at video, we look at access control, you could have upwards of over a thousand different uh, devices connecting. You know, you only need one potential uh, vulnerability in one of those devices that could es essentially remove the, the cybersecurity of the whole system. So when we start to look at that independent te testing and assurance, you know, are there any specific risk mitigations or controls in your contract and the supplier, which could be must be passed down to also contractors? Do you want to be informed if the supplier changes some contractors does the manufacturer or the supplier you know do you require them to hold or do they need to have cybersecurity certifications from external penetration testing sites can they provide those results under nda you know things like ul 2900-2-3 which is something that's very specific to video management you know do they hold those highest certifications to evidence that they have been penetration tested by a third party you've got things like cyber 27001. One thing I will say that I think is really critical though, self-certification should not be relied on. It's our belief that it should, you know, you need to have not just an internal team that are penetration testing and an internal cybersecurity team, but having that third party, that external pen testing done and, and being able to evidence it is the key bit. Once we then start well, you know, once we move away then and we're confident that that our suppliers do the independent testing and can give us that assurance, the real key bit is understanding ownership, their track records. You know, so what's the ownership of the company? You know, is there anything in 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 their ownership that should send any flags? Uh, you know, should should be should send us a bit of an alarm. But most importantly, what's their track record when dealing with cybersecurity issues or vulnerabilities? Because ultimately, I think that very, very few, if any, people will ever be immune from cyber security issues. It's it's not the fact that you have them. It's about how you deal with them. Brilliant answer. Thank you. Yeah, it's like a, and it's not just it, it's any any weakness in the chain is a weakness for everybody. It's basically the um, the, the the problem, isn't it? It's not. Um, it's the exposure could come from anywhere and it, um, at any point. It, it can. There's so many different factors. And I think this is it. You know, we, we're, we're in an in, interconnected world now. Whoever we are, we're in an interconnected world. And, and, and our supply chain is as much of a risk as the Internet's a risk, as yeah. insider threats are a risk. So we have to do that due diligence and we have to make sure that we understand where our product's coming from, who's coming on our sites, you know, just just to try and that that will help reduce our risk yeah and it's interesting actually that you mentioned um ownership and i mean we're seeing information security as 
going right up the uh, policy agenda in government, you know, government policy regulations. Um, data centres are firmly in the spotlight now that now that governments realise data centres exist. <laughs> we yeah. seem to be in line for absolutely everything in the crosshairs for everything they bring up. So last year we had the National Security and Investment Act, which um, came into force in April. And that had new obligations for data centre transactions to be notified to the Secretary of State at Bayes, Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Um, now our governments are proposing to expand the scope of the network and information systems regulations to include data centres and, and beyond. Or essentially, they're, they're asking for the potential to vary that scope at will in future. Um, yeah. Do you think um, data centres are I mean, sufficiently acknowledged as part of our essentially critical national infrastructure. I mean, they're not listed as such. There are a few that are, but the sector isn't. Um, and do you think that's a um, do you think that's a slightly sort of schizophrenic way that the government's producing all this legislation that, that captures data centres quite explicitly, um, but on the other hand, is um, is to you know I, I think they are considering that 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 the sector status in future. Um, but do you have a particular view on that? I think more needs to be done, if I'm if I'm being completely honest with you. And I know that the CPNI's view is that data centres are now increasingly part of our national infrastructure and, and that obviously more thought needs to be uh, done uh, as far as their design, the measures, processes used to ensure the security and resilience. Um, and I know that consequently, consequently that they have issued advice and recommendations relating to the protection measures and yeah. both business continuity and risk dimensions that need to be addressed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, just through what I've seen, though, that guide was kind of issued and published, sorry, around about 2010. Um, mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen too much guidance or new guidance uh, published since. I mean, 12 years is is a lot of time in, in It's in on its technology. way. I can tell yeah. you it's on its way. Yeah, that's good. Uh, because, <laughs> that may reassure I mean, you, but yes, uh, definitely on its way. <laughs> I know government can be uh, slow to react, but 12 years um, yeah, in, in, in technology is, is, is a lot. Yeah, because technology years are Narnia years, aren't they? I mean, a technology, are, technology yeah. goes at the speed of Narnia, really. Yeah. Um, so, yes. But then, then that, that makes it a challenge in itself, because yeah. I think I think by the time you publish something, it's out of date. That's yeah. the problem you've got, you know, a day Absolutely. later, it's out of date. So it, it, it is hard. Um, but I do think it's good to see official guidance coming from CPNI, you know, when when because obviously when, when a company has a problem that impacts on the availability or integrity of its data, it's bad enough. But obviously yeah. data centers have the capability to completely disrupt hundreds or even thousands of organizations if they encounter a problem. Yes, so that's I, by I the way. Yeah. Sorry, God. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I mean, it's 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 you know, data centres are are well specific now. You know, the the the, the economy is built on it. Um, you know, and our critical national infrastructure is being built on it. Um, you know, we we're all putting something in the cloud. We're all putting something in data centre. I think, from my perspective, or some sorry, looking at it from our perspective, I think when we look at specifically other sectors. Okay, within critical national infrastructure, I'd actually say that what we're lacking is clear direction. Okay, so we might see examples saying communications in the communications sector or defence sector that sit under critical national infrastructure. You know, there's been very clear communication to those sectors and policy communicating the risk uh, and providing clear policies on those threats. Okay, and also. We start to, you know, we see CPNI approved products, some products CPNI approved, and we've seen caps also, another approval that typically they request within those two sectors within critical national infrastructure. That still leaves out another 10 to 11 sectors within critical national infrastructure where it doesn't apply. 
I think the issue is here, if we can't apply standards and clear direction and policy to um, all critical national infrastructure, then I think we struggle to start to apply those policies and uh, those mechanisms to data centers that, to be honest, are probably <laughs> more secure and, 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 and can't really learn a lot from the government when we start to bring that into to, to, to the, 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 the private sector. So I think it's great, to cut it short, um, I think it's great that, that, that we're looking at data as a critical national infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much we're going to learn, though. Um, that, that's definitely what's coming back from the sector in yeah. terms of, you know, we, we think we do this quite well. And what they're a bit concerned about, I think, is that they're going to be asked to spend a lot more money to do it, in their view, less well. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. You know, we'll see. And I, I, I think there are things we can learn from other sectors. The concern, certainly, that I've seen in, in sort of intersectoral discussions is this, this problem of interdependency. You know, if a data centre fails, think of the number of things that could be depending on that. It's a, it's a you know, the, the only sector where more other sectors are dependent on it is energy. Yeah. And we're set, ICT is second. So that's quite scary. I think, you know, there's that great meme, isn't it, on the internet about Maslow's hierarchy of needs with Wi-Fi at the bottom now with everything else on top, you know, shelter, food, clothing, <laughs> self, <laughs> self well-being, whatever it is. Um, and uh, it is, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. I wanted to finish, actually, just by asking a bit of a cheeky question, because I'm asking it a lot in other contexts, particularly sort of energy efficiency. Do you think government's paying enough attention to information security within the data infrastructure that's still on premises across the public sector? Particularly, you know, there's a lot of legacy stuff, a lot of legacy kit and activity in local authorities and agencies. Is government living up the standards they require of the commercial sector in in Environmental stewardship, I know that they're not, you know, the, the evidence we've seen suggests that they're lagging some way behind. But how about resilience and security? Do you have any view on that or is it just a, a, a behind the curtain and we just don't know what's under the bonnet? No, I mean, I, I've got some experience. So, so I work quite a lot with local government, specifically what we call uh, the, the public surveillance. So well, it sounds wrong, but uh, ultimately, when we look at those public areas, so, mm -hmm. so we, we, we're protecting people within within the public realm. So I think it's like I said, it's good to see the guidance, okay, um, from the government, but we need more decision making and policies, especially due to the critical nature of public sector infrastructure for both information security and physical security. I think too much is left to local decision makers. And what I really think it needs is is a centralized policy. And I know kind of everybody's trying to decentralize, but with certain things, especially when we're talking about cybersecurity, um, we took you know security of infrastructure. We need centralised policies and centralised messaging, so that everybody knows it needs to be really defined in relation to cybersecurity to, to remove the ambiguity. Because at the moment, when you leave it to to to, to those regionalised, we, we we send it out to the regions and we decentralise it. Everybody has their own interpretation because there's no clear guidance. You know, it's down to their own interpretation of what they need to do. The real big problem, though, is it needs funding. And if there's no funding going into, uh, and which which we know funding is difficult, then ultimately nobody has the capacity. They don't have the the expertise. They don't have even the ability to necessarily fund the training. So I think a huge amount more needs to be done. I don't think there's enough guidance. I don't think anybody has really given. Um, at central government, given the steers uh, or given the funding to allow people to really kind of 
get on board with the cybersecurity and that narrative, or at least if we're going to decentralize, give them the skills and the training to allow them to make the right decisions on a local level. Right. Yeah. That sounds eminently sensible. That's um, and I know and I can see already we've gone over time, but that's been absolutely fascinating. Um, I have learned loads. I'm kind of slightly rabbit in the hair headlights after that. I'm thinking some of this is like a kind of mixing deck where you all these different things have to be balanced against each other. And you, I can think of a great graphic that I'll probably never ever have time to put together or actually know enough about it. But that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Nick, for no. sharing your insights and your time on that. And um, I look forward to having another one uh, later, perhaps when we see this guidance come out, that'd be really interesting to hear your views on that. But thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much, Emma.